0: number 92 my guest this week is angie setzer and you might recognize her from twitter as the handle the goddess of grain so angie welcome to the show and it's a great honor to have you on
1: well thanks for having me i'm really excited
0: hmm. well a couple of questions for you here to get started off with tell me about tell, tell me about angie and, and and how you got to this point in your life
1: yeah well uh i honestly don't know sometimes <laughs> i wake up and and uh I I pinch myself and like this must I must be dreaming and then I I chuckle because I know you know deep down inside sixteen year old Angie would be like wow that's really cool and also rolling her eyes pretty much constantly at my my day to day so I grew up on a a farm I grew up um in central Michigan actually on um you know what. Turned into a potato farm, but when I was a, a kid, we grew just about everything you could think of. We had dry beans, we had wheat, we had corn, we had potatoes, um, all kinds of stuff. We packed our own potatoes, you know, we raised cattle, we had a dairy for a second, you know, just just about anything. My grandfather was a, a huge proponent of eggs in different baskets and managing risk and things like that. So um, I joke that I grew up with mud in my blood I I really did I, I mean I do still farming is was always something I really enjoyed going out and sitting with my dad and you know when I was a kid we didn't have buddy seats you know you sat on the fender of an old case tractor and you know tried not to get a concussion as you were bouncing across the the hill cultivating potatoes or you know across the field cultivating potatoes so um so yeah I grew up on a farm uh, unfortunately my grandfather you know who i was really close to spent a lot of time with him you know some of my earliest memories are watching the weather channel and us farm report with him on on sunday mornings and uh he passed away when i was about 9 10 years old and the family farm kind of you know somewhat quickly disintegrated afterwards one of those things where he passed away a little bit unexpectedly and and so the the uh how the the farm was supposed to continue without him you know was was really up in the air when when he died and and it kind of like i said slowly slowly deteriorated after that so we got away from farming i didn't grow up in an area with FFA. i was in 4h for a quick second i think i was in it for 2 years one year we did projects one year i showed horses so it wasn't you know like i was a, a big ag kid and, and the area that we were in was was heavily impacted by farming but was not um you know honestly not really ag it didn't it just didn't get excited about agriculture it was almost like it was the dirty little secret so we like I said we didn't have FSA or or anything like that so I went to college everyone had told me I'd be a great teacher you, Angie, you'll be a phenomenal teacher go teach and so I went to college and and the first two years I was going to teach I was going to teach English. Um, You know, and and, uh, figured on on teaching English and minoring in psychology and maybe eventually being a a middle school counselor uh, was kind of my goal. And about halfway through my sophomore year. I looked around and realized that there were you know, hundreds of kids in, in my graduating class that were going to be teachers and hundreds ahead and hundreds behind. And I figured out that there were several other colleges, you know, across the state of Michigan that also, you know, education was this huge push, uh, late 90s, 2000s when I was going to school. So everyone was going to be a teacher. Um, and I decided just before the end of my sophomore year, I'm not going to teach. I'll just graduate and figure out what happens. <laughs> My kid comes to me and tells me that. I'm going to tell him he's crazy. You know, there's, that's a difficult, especially with an English degree. You know, uh, it's not really one that you would call marketable um, by any means. So, so yeah, I ended up graduating, got into a sales position, um, you know, and, and uh, hated that part, but enjoyed the sale part the closing of sales and and doing that and uh ended up applying to a job that said outside sales position um egg experience preferred and uh it ended up being for a cash brokerage firm it, so buying from a farmer selling to the end user corn and soybeans um i joke the only reason they hired me was cuz i'd work for 750 an hour in health insurance and uh i guess the rest is quote unquote history i'm using air quotes right now history so so yeah, that's that's how I started anyway. How I got here is a a, a bunch of uh, fun trials and errors and experiences, I guess you could say, and and uh just a a really interesting sort of career field I guess for me to to be in and and here we are today.
0: So you're still trading grain, and you're still out watching markets and all that stuff. And I enjoy your tweets and they're very informative and funny at the same time. And you normally don't get that mix. So that's uh that's, that's the fun part of Twitter. There's a lot of characters out there and, and you're one of them. So.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. It's definitely a good adventure. Twitter was one of those where when someone tried to convince me to get on it, you know, when I first started, I was like, I don't have time for that. You know, like that's the dumbest thing you could think of. And now I, I, they have a mild addiction yep. I guess you could say. So yeah.
0: <laughs> Twitter and Facebook and all those things, you know, I, I you know I've had a Facebook account forever and I rarely I, I use it to post my podcasts on and you know, same with Twitter. Yeah. I, I go on there some yeah. days and I'll sit down I'm, sitting, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, like type something out or whatever and I it's kinda like, you know, uh when you're getting an interview on the T V and you don't know what to do with your hands. I don't I yeah. don't know what to do with my hands on Twitter. I'm like trying to figure like what could possibly somebody want to know from me that, that's worth their time. And that's that's kind of the cool thing about it is you can kinda of throw stuff out there and people like it or they don't. And it's it's uh it's kind of a cool yeah. environment.
1: That's that's what I enjoy about it. I actually had someone not long ago tell me that I had, I was great at um making myself marketable or something of that nature and I'm like no 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 I'm not marketing anything I'm just saying what I'm thinking like this what you see on twitter is is what you get and that's what I enjoy about it um there are some things you know that I know I have to to back off on you know occasionally you'll you'll get this idea where you're like well this is my hot take and you know you start typing and you're like oh this is going to go way way wrong and so it's just like all right I'm going to go ahead and I'll delete that one and slowly back away from the keyboard for for a hot second but um it's been it's it's been fun I've met a lot of really awesome people and uh you know I honestly have to say that when it comes to some of the things that I experienced and some of the networking you know and and some of that I I wouldn't have it if it weren't for Twitter so I I do have to give it a little bit of credit but it's definitely um, an interesting, you know, exercise, I guess you could say, and and what the world likes, or I I don't know. It's interesting. It's just a weird thing, but it is Twitter.
0: Yep. That's, that's what makes it cool. So yeah, well, there's all kinds of news right now going on in the ag, the ag world. And and probably the one that that we talk about the most is, is the terrorist situation and, and what we see out there. So what's your take on that? And, and how do you, see all that unfolding well
1: it's it's interest it's interesting I feel like I keep using the word interesting so let's you know it's it's have it be our our uh, a podcast drinking game I guess the more okay. times I use it the more you can can take a drink of your water um I I really I struggle with it because there's a lot of things that needed to be corrected, you know, plain and simple. A lot of of trade uh, agreements that have been made and and things that have changed since the initial beginning of those trade agreements. I mean, the one in particular that I look at when it comes to to China is the the intellectual property theft. The idea that if you want to open a business in China, if you want to start selling a product in China, if you want access to those billions of customers, um, you have to. Open a factory, and you have to partner with someone who is from, you know, who is Chinese, and the Chinese government will allow you or won't allow you to do so. and, And you basically have to become an open book. Um, so, if you have any sort of uh, proprietary information, if you want to avoid a, a significant tariff of when it comes to selling that product into China, you have to give up. You know, most of that information you have to give it to them. And uh, you know, if, if there was such a thing as, as confidentiality or the fact that you could trust that they wouldn't take it and run with it later on, you know, it might be a little bit different. But you know, the reality is right now, a lot of of Chinese business has is has made its money or or has worked hard to to kind of uh, figure out ways to tap into what other people have already established so they're very good at piggybacking on on an established business or on an established idea, taking it and and you know really kind of making it their own you know almost like a parasite. To a certain extent, like they attach to the host, they get all they need to from the host, and then once the host is is you know not uh, really working for them anymore, they can push you know they go and find something else or do something else. So that's that's a, a struggle. Um, I agree with the Trump administration that you know having a um, a government you know or a, a, an ec- an economy that is state run is is not necessarily the the right way to go about it now. Having said that, I also find it ironic that our government is trying to say that, you know, we are entirely free market because, you know, obviously you could point out several Several ways we aren't, you know, several ways that we have a, a corporatist sort of economy or something of that nature that isn't necessarily as free market as we'd like to pretend it is. But there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of things that China has done over the years. Uh, you know, the uh, 2012 when the price of corn got expensive and um, supply became, you know, increasingly you know, when we rolled into 2013, and suddenly there was there was a little bit more of available supply, and the prices that they had paid for maybe that midsummer cargo of corn in, in 2013 was a little higher than what they wanted. And suddenly you come out with that that uh, MIR one sixty two or whatever the Syngenta um, trait. Suddenly they say, "Well, we, we've never approved this, so um, you can't you can't ship that here and, and start rejecting cargoes of corn." And then at the the, the end of last year. You know, they changed uh, the, the acceptance levels of FM and soybeans. For the U.S., Brazil, they did not. the U.S., they did. You know, it's just never been what you would necessarily call a a fair playing field. And for the longest time, we've just kind of gone with it. It's China. You can't do anything about it. You know, the other thing that a lot of people really kind of have a hard time with is China is still treated as a developing country, you know, with the World Trade Organization and other things. And, and you have certain... Um, Freedoms as a developing country when it comes to economics that you don't when you're considered developed. So you know, obviously, China is, has become the large, if not the largest, one of the top two largest economies in the world. You now the reality is they're not necessarily what you would call a developing country anymore, but they're still working under that umbrella. So you know, I I agree um, with with Trump and the Trump administration that things needed to change. I struggle um, with. You know the way that that we go about it. Um, I feel like both countries are are very good at hyperbole. I feel like very countries, both countries are good at you know, well you stab me in the eye, I'm going to stab you in the other eye, and and I don't know how that works from a negotiation standpoint for one. So that's concerning. Um, for two, you know, I don't know what our end game is. What what. What does the Trump administration, what will they feel is a win? And, you know, they've kind of continued to say, well, tariff-free trade and and this, that, and the other thing. And and I don't know if that's uh, necessarily a possibility. So I do have some concerns. you know, that that this could cause some long-term issues or this could drag out. You know, I thought we'd have been solved two weeks ago. Honestly, I thought the it would be you know taken care of, and this would be a uh, a story that's behind us, and we'd be working on NAFTA and and other issues. But obviously, we aren't. Um, so it's definitely a concern to me long term. But one thing that's very frustrating to me right now is is folks that aren't necessarily educated in how commodities or or grains in particular work. You know, the the newspaper publications, things of that nature, that are you know acting as though supply and demand are incredibly elastic meaning that overnight you can see demand completely shut off and supply uh, move from one country to another and and that's not the case um, obviously it, it takes a long time I always say it's like turning the Titanic you know high, uh, low prices you know can encourage demand increase and suddenly you're, you're you have a rally or something of that nature but it takes time uh, to have that happen so there's a lot of fallacies that are floating around about what this tariff could mean—that frustrates me. Um, you know, of course, we saw some pretty significant headline selling take place, and and really kind of slam these markets um, as well. You know, as a result or an idea of the tariffs. So it's it's frustrating in so many ways, um, but in other ways, it's it's probably very necessary to to make some of these changes. So it's it's a really hard thing, you know, especially on Twitter, you know, to to explain in 140 or 280 characters, you know, because there are so many moving parts involved.
0: It, that's exactly right. What you said, I mean, <clears throat> there's people that talk about what's going on in, in the ag economy that don't understand what they're talking about, but they're painting a bad picture for you know, mm-hmm. whatever administration's in there or whatever, you know, whatever they think they can poke. And, and Trump's probably caught the most of the, the brunt of the, Misinformation, I guess, if you want to, when it comes to to the ag side, because of the the amount of people that that voted for him and where they came from, what that looks like, I mean, they're all most of that are all from the the ag producing yeah. states. You know, that's who that's who that's his base. So, any chance they get to yeah. poke something at that, they're going to do it.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And, I, and you know, and I I said that before it's, is, uh, you know, we saw the the divisiveness of politics really start to kick in. You know, you can't even say with the Obama administration. It started with the 2000 election. You know, let's let's call a spade a spade. You know, uh, right. um, the idea that we were so so t- you know, so divided, and and a lot of folks forgot about it, of course, because we were unified among one another very quickly after 9/11. You know, for for good reason. Um, you know, we we almost for had forgotten about the hanging chads and you know all of this turmoil that it had kind of circled around the the political realm you know at the the turn of the millennial there but um you know we so we we are we're very strongly divided and and part of what what gets me right now or part of what i i feel is is that most of the folks that we work with and and that we talk to on a day-to-day basis are very much in the middle but there are people who are on on very you know far sides of the spectrum and the hard part for me too is is that you know those who are on the each end of the spectrum tend to speak the loudest, um, you know, and, and so I, that's a struggle that I have. And then the other struggle that I have, of course, is, is that, um, you know, it's, it's easy sometimes if you know what you're looking for or if you know what's actually taking place behind the scenes when it comes to, to soybean exports. I mean, they're the largest they've been in, in four years, even without China present and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot that's going on underneath the, the radar um, that will not be put into the narrative because it doesn't fit you know what the media wants you know the media wants uh, it seems to to paint this picture that rural america You know was so stupid they didn't realize they were voting for their own demise and they still blindly support uh this president that you know obviously most of the media sources can't stand but you know you listen to mainstream media you know on both sides of the aisle and and it goes back to it's it 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 almost poisons your way of thinking you know to where it is us versus them and and so i i struggle but it feels like it's really at a fever pitch right now the idea that uh um, some folks are, you know, I, I, I joked about it not long ago on Twitter that, you know, no matter what Trump does, whether it it, it it could be very good and people would still find a reason to state it's bad and it could be very bad and they'd still find a reason to state it's good. And we really need to get away from that and just kind of be supportive to, to what's best for the country.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I think it might have been a week or two ago. I read an article where, you know, NAFTA is up in the air now. don't really know what we're going to do there. Um, mm-hmm. Trump says basically, uh, we just can't work with Canada right now, but we're going to do a bilateral agreement with, with Mexico on when it comes to, mm-hmm. to to that whole spectrum. What are your thoughts on that and, and how do you how do you think that's affecting the market right now?
1: Well, I I think it it will have or it is having a, a little bit of an impact just because Canada is such a um you know, it it is they are, you know, such an important player and in our you know, agricultural economy. I, I, you know, I trade in Michigan. So obviously to me, Ontario is just another state. We go back and forth um, continuously. We arbitrage a lot of grain back and forth with each other and things like that. So I want us to to get along with Canada and I want it to work. But I I will say that, you know, Trump throughout the the, uh, election process made it very, very clear that um, he wants bilateral trade agreements. I mean, he wants it to be him and, and Mexico, him and Canada, him and Japan, him and China, him and the EU. You know what I mean? He he wants it to be direct. And, and I, you know, to be completely honest, I, I think in a lot of ways it probably makes sense. The concerns that Mexico has are probably very different than the concerns that Canada has. Um, it's probably very difficult. I can't imagine trying to negotiate with three people sitting at the table. Um, so I, I think it makes sense. I would, I, I'm not against it you know, obviously I don't know the details in the inner workings. I want to see us uh, also work with, with China or with Canada, excuse me, very closely. Um, but if we were to get something put together with Mexico as the first step, you know, I, I wouldn't complain, I guess you could say. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, if, if we can make it work, then, then let's make it work. Um, and if it makes it easier for everyone, then great, you know, um, I did see something the other day that was interesting where you know Mexico and Canada were talking about just cutting us out and working together, and I'm like that's you know basically like having a bread sandwich, you know what I mean <laughs> like okay, we're gonna take the meat out of the sandwich okay. and just eat this white bread to you know to prove a point, you know and it's like that's not you you kind of have to have the the middle portion to to really make that work, but you know there's there's a lot of of talk and and that's really. The hardest part about all of this stuff is—is is there's just, you know, so many different headlines that are put out uh, on a day-to-day basis that—that that change. You know, I, I write a newsletter or try to write a newsletter um, once a week, and—and and, uh, that's almost impossible anymore just to take snippets of what's taking place because. For each snippet, you could also put in five different, you know, minor snippets that were involved in that one, you know, and and say, well, this was said, but then these things were said. And so it's just, it's a a really interesting thing. But I would welcome an agreement with Mexico. They're a huge buyer, um, you know, of of our, our grains and our meat. And, uh, you know, I would love to, to see us get something established there if, if that means that we're able to then move on and, and focus on Canada and get something established there as well. So um, it's definitely one of those things that Trump was very clear about in the election. And, and obviously, you know, at this point, he's, he's trying to follow through, right or wrong. Yeah.
0: Well, everyone's on the uh, let's tariff the, the crap out of, out of soybeans kick right now. You know, the EU just announced that they're going to start doing some some retaliatory stuff with soybeans and what have you, but the one thing about the U.S. soybeans, and I want your opinion on this, is that we we have the the largest, biggest, most quality supply of, of soybeans in the world, and there is a ton mm-hmm. of pressure right now in soybean and corn producing parts of the world where they're worried about you know, drought and everything else that's in the that mix. So, I mean, I, sometimes I think that they can go through and— and tariff themselves into just them paying more for this, for the stuff that they need. They're going to buy anyway. What's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when it comes down to it, it's like I said before, uh, you know, this idea that demand, um, and supply are, are incredibly elastic. So, there's this idea that because China is not going to come out and, and necessarily trip all over themselves to purchase U.S. soybeans at this point in time, you know, obviously demand's going to completely dry up. Well, that's that's not the case. Um, you know, we've seen it with our our export sale uh, weekly report. New crop sales are are you know, beyond expectations, well above expectations just about every week. They, even old crop were above expectations uh, yesterday in the announcement. You know, demand is there. So basically, you didn't remove the buckets. I always tell my farmers that, you know, demand is, is like having X amount of buckets you have to fill. And just because one bucket in particular is like, nope, don't want those, don't want yours, you know, doesn't mean that the other buckets aren't still there waiting to be filled. So Brazil had been a supplier to several other countries across the the world. If the U.S. was supplying China, then, you know, if Brazil had cheaper beans available, then they would supply those other countries. Well, the result of the the tariffs and the the trade war has been, you know, a a significant increase in Brazil bean prices. Uh, Basis levels at ports down there are are record high, and, and so that's made our beans cheaper to other countries that don't have the, the 25% tariff and they've come in and, and been buying, especially with a $2 drop in futures price. I mean, it's, it's been a, a blue light special for them. Um, They're going to continue. I mean, the one thing that no one really talks about is the fact that, you know, global population growth and global wealth growth is not dissipating. You know, whether you want to believe it is or not, it's it's not going anywhere. The demand for soybeans is expected to increase, you know, exponentially over the next 10 years. And with or without trade wars, that's going to happen because you have to feed people. Um, People want You know, once they get a taste for for protein sources like hogs and, and, you know, beef and, and chicken and things like that, they, they, they want that. They're not going to go backwards. Um, and so that's going to require, you know, significant feedings of soybean meal and, and things of that nature. So, you know, from an overall standpoint, in my opinion, demand is, is not necessarily going to go anywhere. Now, the million dollar question is how does supply shift to make up for, you know, this market structure change if there is one? Um, And we talked about it a little bit this morning, and and really it just depends on how long this drags out. Um, You know, if if we're still dealing with this Chinese spat, you know, a year or two from now, then it's it's a different world. Um, But I I do feel as though the administration, it it will be in their best interest to have it solved, you know, prior to the election. Um, I think that's really what they're pushing for. I think the Chinese are probably really pushing to not have it solved by the election because then they think that they have a leg up on us or something of that nature. But you know, truly, if it's you'll see a, a slight increase in in bean acres in Brazil this fall. You know, because of pricing, uh, you know, the price push and things like that. That'll be a a, a cut to corn corn acres down there, which means that our corn demand will will continue to increase and we will be the only uh, supplier globally of corn in the world until next June. I mean, so for every bad there is in soybeans, there's a good. And the, the sooner we're able to kind of remedy this trade issue, the better. Um, You know, because long term implications really do exist. But when it comes to the short term, the idea that suddenly, you know, our demand is going to shut off and supply is going to, to transition into other countries, you know, other countries are going to hold supply is really a fallacy. And it's produced by, you know, journalists who have no concept of, you know, how long it takes to actually uh, get ground ready to grow soybeans and actually be able to yield. Um, you know, you, you can't just go out and and throw soybeans into the ground and and have a 50 bushel of the acre yield, you know, anyone that's, that's farmed knows that. And so there's a lot of things that are going on that will take a while to play out. And the sooner we solve the trade issue, the less likely we are to see long-term implications, but it is something that we'll, we'll have to watch.
0: So, one thing I've been looking at here in in with me being in in the farm equipment business is I'm starting to notice a kind of what I what I would think is the beginnings of a paradigm shift in in the ag business, whether it's the machinery business or just the ag business as a whole and the reason I say that is you know two generations ago there wasn't a lot of of things that changed from generation to generation mm-hmm. that was uh, you know, that that made a dramatic difference in how they do business. Um, but yeah. this generation coming in, technology is just ramping through, you know, going through the roof. And some of these kids are that are coming in back to the farm, they spent their entire life on the Internet buying and buying mm-hmm. stuff nowhere yeah. else. So what I see happening is, and, and the way they look at business now is way different than their, their dad or grandpa ever looked at it. Um, just yeah. because of the tools they have. Do you see are you seeing the same thing and, and how is that affecting yeah. how you do your business
1: yeah no it it definitely is I, I I talk about it quite often i've I've had to speak for two different groups here that are in the equipment um, retailer side and and uh, you know both times we've we've had the conversation about getting started um you know hey Angie are you interested in speaking for us sure okay you know what do you want me to talk about well, I want you to not make it depressing, <laughs> you know, because you're in the business, right? That, you know, with, with farmers seeing a, a decrease in revenue, it, it it makes it much, much harder um, to be involved in. But the one thing that I'll say is that technology, um, ROI, when it when it comes to, to technology, farmers nowadays, especially the younger ones, like you said, that have been on the Internet and stuff like that, they understand um, the extent to which they're able to, to improve their farming capabilities when it comes to technology. And so they're willing to spend a little bit of extra money on this technology because it's, it is something that is, is uh, you know, like I said, the ROI on it is, is, is awesome in, in a lot of situations you know, you look back at, like you said, how their dad or grandpa farmed, you know, prior to auto steer or prior to, you know, row clutches or um, variable rate technology, Um, you know, all of these things that cost a little bit of money to get started, but really result in some, some big bang for their buck, you know, the uniform seed emergence and things like that, you know, stuff, ways to you know, really maximize production on each acre is, is huge. And and farmers nowadays, you know, are spending a ton of time learning about what that means and, and how they can improve um how they can improve their operation and and increase their yields, you know, those those ways. Um so yeah, I'm I'm definitely seeing it on my side. I mean we're we've seen yield increases that are are huge you know over the last year few years and and a lot of folks can credit seed technology and of course that has a role, but just the general understanding of of ways to make things better, and then the desire to challenge i mean look at some of the things that you see on on Twitter right now with people speaking moves and testing different things and guys that are planting soybeans in controlled environments on their farm just to see, you know, the different things that impact uh, soybean yield potential and stuff like that. And, you know, farmers are really taking the ball and running with it when it comes to, to their own sets of research on their, their own, you know, sets of dirt. And so, yeah, I'm I'm definitely seeing that desire to increase the, the technological aspects of farming and, and it's I, I definitely think it's it's for the better. Yeah, you
0: know, I think yeah, I think there's three things, four, actually four things that are that are making you know, we have to generate more yield on the same acres that we have, you know, mm-hmm. right now. So, you know, planter technology is gonna help do that. Um, seed technology. And then uh, auto track is going to make a big difference in that too. But the other thing that I think has helped farmers become a more educated, and then also more open to trying different stuff, is things like Twitter. You know, where they can go and watch a guy do that. I can't remember what the guy's name is. Is it Jason? Jason Mock, Mock, probably the 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 guy with wheat and soybeans. Is that?
1: Yep. Yeah yep uh where he's working on uh light into the in into the canopy of soybeans and the difference that you get as, at the final stages of growth and stuff like yeah yep. i mean that's that the, that kind of stuff is, is just amazing to me steve pitt sticks another one in, in iowa or in illinois he's gonna kill me in illinois <laughs> uh not iowa um you know that that is he has like boxes like he has like what you would use for a garden is where he plants soybeans and he'll plant them at different dates and he'll watch and see, you know, he was putting out uh, yesterday or this this past week about flowering. Um, You know, traditionally everyone had believed that soybeans flowered because of of light. Well, this year the, the increase in heat, you know, had kind of pushed that in some areas where you're setting pods where you shouldn't necessarily be setting pods, you know, based on the the length or the variety of bean and, and where we are on the calendar. And, and so he's done some really interesting, you know, research on what does it take for a bean um, to get ready to, to uh, put a pot on or flower or something of that nature. And, and, uh, you know, I'm not an agronomist. I'm not even, I can't even grow sweet corn in a garden. You know what I mean? But um, I try, I can't, I'm horrible at it. Uh, You know, I'm just a a lily cash grain trader here. And, uh, you know, that kind of stuff is amazing to me. And I, I joke in my, my presentations, I talked to, you know, fun fact, farmers are now producing 262% more food than with 2% fewer inputs than, than in 1950. That is huge. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you what, Debbie on Facebook wants you producing a thousand more food with 50% fewer inputs. You know what I mean? As we progress more and we, we urbanize more and and more people are involved in the decisions that we make, whether we want them to be or not, that's going to happen. You know what I mean? People are, on the outside are going to be more involved in, in what it takes to, to be able to farm in a lot of areas, especially those areas that are, are close to urban centers. Um, you know, we're going to have to continue to, to really kind of improve that and you know in my uneducated on an, an agronomic standpoint but uh in my opinion a lot of that is, is going to be done through technology you know that variable rate and, and things of that nature you know as we move ahead and and it, it's an exciting time I mean it, it almost reminds me of uh, you know seeing the the move in in music. You know what I mean? Like I'm thirty six years old and, and when I was born it was records and then it was tapes and then it was CDs and now it's, you know, uh MP threes and I think those are old school now, if you ask anyone, like it's streaming or whatever. I don't know. I'm not cool anymore. But, you know, it's it's just in that I think that's really what we're seeing in farming. The the jumps that we've seen in technology even in the last five years you know, is, is mind blowing. Imagine what the next five to 10 to 20 is, is going to bring if you're open to to adapting and making changes.
0: Yeah. And, and to your point about, you know, the, the, the soccer mom that's out there and, and concerned about the food that she's feeding her children and when she should be, but you know, there's sprayer technology now, for example, where you can have artificial intelligence and stuff that go through the field and it recognizes a, you know, mayor's teller, whatever, and it just sprays that one mm-hmm, thing. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't just blanketly spray stuff across there. So, I mean, we're talking, like, decreasing chemical use by 90%. You know, that's, yeah. that's a, it's a huge thing.
1: Look at what that means, you know, not only for the usage of chemicals when it comes to all the other factors that are, are you know, involved in that, but what it means for the usage of chemicals when it comes to uh, an input cost factor and so yeah that's the kind of stuff that i look at like i said where i'm you know i'm just an educated observer you know to a to a whole huge degree um and i see that 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 spot technology you know and and right now I, my the farmer that farms around here that grows soybeans he does spot technology the same thing except for it's the four-wheeler and uh backpack sprayer you know so um it's he's maybe he's ahead of his time while being exceptionally behind on his time yep. um you know things of that nature are just absolutely amazing the, the the knowledge of of being able to to grid sample your soil and know what you know what's type of soil needs, what type of, you know, it used to be you'd just go across and, you know, spread potash and maybe think of lime as an afterthought or something like that. And now people are really getting to where they absolutely know how to, you know, make their soil thing to a certain extent if they're willing to to do it. And yeah, that kind of stuff, it excites me, even if I'm not, you know, knee deep, I'm not actually involved in it directly. It, it's still something that, you know, I, I would love to see people tout tout more, you know, because I I think it helps to show the soccer mom that we really are doing everything we can to be what you know sustainable, right. whatever that means. I always, right. My friend Jen hates that word simply because, of course, we're trying to be sustain, sustainable because we're trying to stay in business year after year. But you know, that, to be able to prove that we really are working in that direction is is a huge thing.
0: Right? Yeah, it, it's it's amazing, like you said, with technology and with the you know grid sampling and stuff like that. I mean, we write. Fertilizer prescriptions, seeding prescriptions, and, and since we're such a heavily irrigated area, we can also write water prescriptions and and base uh, yeah. rate watering on all that stuff too. So, you are maximizing if you if you buy into the technology and actually listen to what people are telling you. You're, you're buying. You're you're maximizing your fields. You're going to grow where you mm-hmm. can grow the most you can, based on you know the tools that you have. And it's it's you know going in the future when we get to that. 9 billion person mark, we're going to have to be able to do that and have to be able to yes. just be like, we got to grow 50% more crop yeah. on the same ground we've got. How are we going to do it?
1: Yeah. And that's, I always struggle with these guys kind of get depressed right now where it's like, well, I thought we had to feed the world. Well, you, you are, you are going to have to feed the world. So, you know, you can either kind of get on top of things and figure out ways that you can, can change. You know, I, I got into a discussion with someone you know, this week yeah, on Twitter, where it was like, we in the I states grow corn and beans, and that's what we grow. And it's like, that's super. But um, have you thought about other things? You know, and, and I'm not saying necessarily have to get away from growing corn and beans, but there is a push for, for non-GMO corn. There is a push for, you know, other types of, of specialty crops as well. But in the reality, even just looking at the, the demand growth that's going to take place when it comes to corn and soybeans is going to be huge. It is huge. Um, you know, it's just a matter of where we're supplying it from. And yes, as the U.S., you know, we really are the, the greatest provider of, of, you know, low cost, high quality goods. You know, and and the one thing that I was bummed this week is the the twelve billion and and quote unquote farm aid that they unveiled. You know, I would love to have seen that actually be used to to help build infrastructure when it comes to our export market and and things of that nature. And and maybe we'll get there eventually. We had infrastructure week about six months ago with the administration and that kind of went nowhere. It flew like a lead balloon, I guess. But, um, you know, hopefully we could see that too because I think building our infrastructure and helping support our ability to export, you know, we already know how to produce. We just have to be able to be able to supply it to the world and, you know, we'd really be unstoppable in a lot of ways
0: that's that's been our biggest strength for the last 50 years is our is our infrastructure Mm -hmm. and and how that works and it's it's deteriorating and it's not as state of the art as it used to be and other countries are trying to catch up to that so we need to figure out how we're going to make the lock system work better in the mississippi river and Mm -hmm. you know how we're going to get you know more rail systems that move faster between point a and point b i mean those are all the things that we need to start figuring out and um we just, it's like not on the, it's not the front burner of stuff that you think it would be.
1: Yeah. Well, it's not as, is uh direction. I guess it's not as obvious of a, an influencer and, you know, and I, I did have a farmer say that to me. The infrastructure wouldn't benefit me. And you see things like that and you, you just, you, you, you go from being sad because you're like, what well, you know, that's a, a very, you know, somewhat, clueless opinion to, to you know wanting to laugh at the idea that you you don't realize how much it does benefit you you know and I can tell you that, that realistically speaking this this fellow is, is probably one that complains about his poor basis. You know, oh, my basis stinks. I don't get paid anything for my, you know, I'm a dollar below the market on soybeans. Well, of course you are, because our rail system stinks, our lock system is antiquated, and we have no other way to get your beans from middle of nowhere North Dakota to somewhere where they need to be in order to be used, you know, and, and that has a huge you know, influence on what you see from the farm standpoint. So yeah, it's definitely something that I would like us to try to push our our representatives towards, you know, yes, we need to figure out the trade issue and things like that. But We've got to let the administration work. That doesn't just happen overnight. That's that we've got to have faith and, and we've, we've got to take the time to make sure that what we're doing there is is right, you know, and, and of course infrastructure improvements wouldn't happen overnight either, but they would be a big way of showing the world, here, we're going to be a supplier to you for a very, very long time, and, and we want to do what it takes to make sure that you have the feed needs or the food needs that you you desire.
0: Yep, and that's how how that gets so misconstrued, but the ones that get it are the ones that are going to be here for a long time, and the ones that struggle with it aren't, so Yes, yeah. that's kind of the world we live in now
1: yep exactly and that's and, and i don't want to see anyone you know i don't want to see anyone leave um the business by any means i want everyone to be successful and stay around i mean the the worst thing in the world is seeing someone that you've worked with for many years you don't know, have to make a decision on whether or not they're going to continue to farm but um it definitely just isn't anything else you have to be willing to make adapt and change in order to to survive
0: yep absolutely Easier understanding what's going on and, and trying to see how you can get better or you're, or you're getting worse and then you go out of business. It's just that's just the life cycle of a business.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Okay. Well, Angie, I think we covered for this one, and I really appreciate you being on my podcast.
1: I appreciate you having me for sure. Um, you know, I, this has been a great conversation. Yep.
0: And if people want to reach out to you, how would they do that?
1: Uh, they can reach out to me on Twitter at goddess of grain, um, on Twitter, or just search Angie Setzer. Uh, they can also email me at a Setzer S E T Z E R at citizens All right.
0: And remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations with me, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at moving iron LLC. And you can also send me an email at moving iron podcast at moving iron podcast. Make sure you check out my YouTube channel where you can find after the bell, Chip Nellinger and, uh, Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Uh, Make sure you visit my website, Moving Iron LLC. You can find past and present uh, blogs that are out there and also past and present episodes of the Moving Iron podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe. at your favorite podcasting platform. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out.
1: Moving Iron